Good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. I've got a ton of scripture I want to read to you today, and I want to take you to perhaps some unfamiliar portions of the book of Acts. So while you're turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, I want to just encourage you to go and visit the website, BillVanderbush.com, and uh, check out uh, some of the things we have going on. One of the things, of course, we've had in the past that's been incredibly successful, and we've just really, really been just thrilled by the feedback, is the Hebrews Bible Study. And it's a name-your-own-price Bible study. As a dear friend of mine, Dom Wallabaugh, and I go through together, verse by verse, through the entire book of Hebrews. So we talk about the Christic covenant. It's our term for the new covenant. The new covenant found in Christ. And so uh, if you haven't signed up for that, I really encourage you to do it. You can do it at your own pace. You have lifetime access to the study, and you can pay as little or as much as you want. Minimum price is a dollar because that's what the servers charge us in order to feed the, the study out to, to people. And a lot of work went into it. We're really, really glad just to really to give it away. And so thankful for those who are willing to invest in it and uh, see the value in it. And, uh, you know, you're getting you're getting a, the equivalent of a collective 70 years of ministry uh, experience poured into this series. 21 videos, around 30 minutes apiece, and we'll take you verse by verse through the book of Acts. And listen, if you're a pastor, a preacher, a minister, a leader, and you're going, man, I just, I need some fresh uh, oil on the material that God's given me. Uh, I want to preach something that, that's really going to resound with my congregation. Listen, I bet there's 10 sermons in every single one of these videos. You're You're more than welcome to take, run with it. Share it as God inspires you, just as he inspired us. We're all drawing out of the same well. Uh, for the the gospel is just, uh, there's more than enough uh, to go around. So we're glad for anybody who takes this message and runs with it. Uh, two people can't get it everywhere. And so if you can take it, put it in your own words, take these words, put them into your own words, and share them with uh, people in your life, in your sphere of influence, we're thrilled for you to do that. Uh, we are just about to release a new series on the book of Ephesians. And so that'll be exactly the same way. We're going to do it in a name your own price deal and uh, release that. That'll be 15 videos. Ephesians isn't quite as big as Hebrews, but 15 videos and some incredible revelation comes out of the book of Ephesians about being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Seems to be Paul's obsession in the book of Ephesians. All right. I got a lot of ground to cover, not a lot of time to do it. So if you got a Bible, got a pen, got something to write with, write on, take notes, have a seat, relax with me for a bit, and let's dive into the scriptures. We're going to go to Acts chapter 13 today. And uh, let's start this out with a word of prayer. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send your spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we unveil you through the activities of Paul and ministers of the gospel who turn the world upside down. Father, would you make today a day where your grace is unveiled to us in a fresh and new way. Thank you, Lord, for the, the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the, the grace that flows 2,000 years later into our lives, just as it must have in those early days touching cities, touching regions, touching the entire world. May today the grace of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the new covenant, may it flow to the ends of the earth today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, I'm going to start in a in a place that's hard to start uh, in just one spot because it makes you think that everything before is irrelevant. And in this case, it's not, okay? Uh, I've got to pick a place to start, though, because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Acts chapter 13, and I want to um, take you down to verse 38. That's where we're going to start today. And it starts with this phrase. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, speaking of through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now, keep in mind, the Apostle Paul, many of the New Testament writers, speakers, and teachers, these guys died proclaiming salvation through Christ alone. And part of their message was the law can't save you or the law won't accomplish this. And we think that, well, people were persecuting these guys because they were preaching about Jesus. Hey, listen, they weren't being persecuted simply because they were preaching about Jesus, bringing people into a revelation of the new covenant. They were persecuted. Many of them died because they were encouraging people to leave behind an old covenant system. I mean, these were essentially 2,000 years ago. These were deconstructionists from an old covenant way of thinking and encouraging people to walk away from 1,300 years of religious tradition, which had been given by God, actually, was an offense punishable in the minds of the Jews by death because it threatened everything that they lived for, everything that they stood to, to defend. What they didn't understand was the law was one huge question to which Jesus Christ was the answer. So in verse 40, goes on and says, Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. And now he's going to use their own word against them, the the words of the prophets. In verse 41, Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you would never believe, though someone should describe it to you. He's quoting out of Habakkuk 1, by the way. In verse 42, he says, As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them next Sabbath. Paul has just gotten done, by the way, teaching and preaching the gospel in the, in the synagogue here. It says, verse 43, Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God, not the works of the law. People could only be temporarily forgiven of sins by the works of the law, but they could never be made holy, perfect, pure, or righteous. And so the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ was at the blood of Jesus. It was a perfect sacrifice, sinless, spotless, and it accomplished once and for all, never needing to be repeated what they had previously relied on animal sacrifices to do. Paul was preaching that Jesus was the end of the sacrificial system. So naturally, the religious leaders of his day weren't having it. Okay, so uh, he, he's urging him in verse 43 to continue in what? Not the works of the law, but the grace of God. And in order for people to live in that grace, it literally meant stopping all of the practices of the works of the law. 
It was realizing that these practices were not an exercise of love and devotion to God as much as simply reliance upon Jesus Christ. You couldn't have both. And that's, of course, what we talked about in the study in Hebrews. In verse 44, it says, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now think about that. The gospel has so gripped uh, Antioch and, and the cities and the regions around that literally the entire city and Iconium and Antioch are gathering around to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, that's kind of a big deal uh, for the whole city assembles to hear. It says in verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, now who are the Jews here? These guys are the defenders of the old covenant. It says they were filled with jealousy. So what's happening here? There's, there's not a sense of, I wonder if this message is true. These people would not even entertain the concept that perhaps they were wrong. No, this was an issue of just straight up jealousy. And it says, now they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. You understand that there is a spirit behind this here. This isn't just a human emotion. There's a spirit of jealousy behind this. Can I tell you that that spirit is alive and active in the earth today? A spirit of jealousy at the success of anybody who's preaching the gospel and actually seeing an impact made for the gospel, the grace of Christ, the revelation of the new covenant of, of Jesus Christ. There's a spirit of jealousy in and among the body of Christ. How do you know you've come into grace? You're not jealous of anybody. As a matter of fact, you can champion everybody. You can appreciate everybody and champion everybody. Or you're, or you're an equal opportunity offender across the board. In other words, there's no idolatry here. You can see uh, uh, just the silly things that people do and recognize them for what they are. And that is sometimes people just get goofy. Sometimes good people just go weird. Uh, so jealousy is the kind of thing where there's preference entered in. Jealousy and judgment are super close together. They're really, really tied together where in jealousy, you are now making yourself a judge of other people. And there are certain people that you elevate and other people that you demote. I get to tell you, there's, if I made lists, some of you would love to hear a list of people in ministry that I just flat don't like. And listen, you say, you've, you've got those, Bill, you wrote a book on grace. How do you not like certain people? Well, listen. Some people, I just don't like what they teach or preach or do because there are some people that actually preach and prophesy falsely, say things that prove not to be true, make predictions that prove not to be true. Listen, I'm not saying that these are horrible people. They may be sincerely wrong, okay, but still wrong. But the thing that actually I find to be the most uh, strange is that there are people for whom they can do no wrong. Listen, if I get on here and I start prophesying things that aren't true, don't come to pass, and uh, are obviously just products of my own imagination, uh, you have every right not just to call me out, but don't listen to me anymore. My goodness. The thing I don't understand is when your favorite prophet gets it wrong and you keep listening to him. Next time they make another prophecy... Man, you forward that prediction on to all your friends. I, don't, I just don't understand that. When somebody proves to get it wrong, means that they're not listening to the voice of the Lord. They're just making a guess. And can I tell you, guessing in the kingdom of God 
You're not obligated to listen to everybody's guess, even if that guess is what you would have guessed if you were feeling worthy of guessing. All right. So you're not obligated to listen to people who consistently get it wrong. We got a huge problem in the modern prophetic movement is people have gotten it wrong and nobody in the body of Christ seems to, to, to stop listening to it. That's the deal. A lot of these folks, I, I just don't even pay attention to why, because I'm just waiting for them to come back around and preach the gospel again, to open up the scriptures and preach the revelation of the new covenant of Christ, calling people to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And, and to, to literally preach the goodness of what Jesus has done as opposed to predicting or, or superimposing their will upon a future and then it doesn't happen. Uh, we saw it in the last election. We just saw it again in this election. A lot of people came around and tried to make another stab at it and prophesy things that just didn't happen. All right? They're guessing ministers who need to get back to preaching the gospel, right? Just encourage them to do it. Uh, really, we need more people actually preaching the gospel instead of building an entire career on trying to predict the future. We're not psychics here. We're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so back to this word, back to Acts chapter 13, we're in verse 46, going on in Paul and Barnabas's journey. Remember, these guys just got jealous. All right, here we go. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now stop for a second and say, judge themselves unworthy of eternal life? So judgment here and condemnation was a self-inflicted condition. The reason that they were unworthy of eternal life was because they looked at the grace of Jesus Christ and went back to sacrificing animals. In other words, they put the blood of bulls and goats and sheep above the perfect sacrifice of what Christ had done. And no wonder they were the ones who had committed the sacrifice. But you understand that the grace of that sacrifice even extended from Christ to his murderers, and yet they were still rejecting it. So Jesus wasn't judging him here. The Father wasn't judging him. They were judging themselves unworthy because they wouldn't partake in the communion of Christ. They wouldn't step into surrendering to the Christic covenant, the new covenant in Jesus. Instead, they were going back and relying by their actions, by their works on the old covenant of the law. Now, what about the Gentiles? who didn't have any covenant at all, who didn't sacrifice for anything, who were outside of the, the boundaries of Judaism, and they, were, they weren't relying on any kind of a covenant at all. Well, it says here, he says, you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. So we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about salvation. And we're talking about Gentiles who, from the Jews' perspective, had been set apart. I mean, keep in mind, the Jews made sure that everybody knew you're either a Jew or you're not. And if you're in the not category, you're a Gentile. And if you're a Gentile, there's no hope for you. You're out there. And so the Jews have elevated themselves spiritually above everybody else 
and the Gentiles really were without hope unless they became Jews. And keep in mind, to become a Jew, kind of a big deal. I mean, you had to go through the process of circumcision. You had to start observing all kinds of rituals and all kinds of, of, of strange customs. And the Gentiles weren't having it. They, 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 but somehow they've been convinced that they were out. And, and here in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, and keep in mind, this is an old covenant scripture. Verse 47, he's quoting Isaiah. Now, how come the Gentiles have never heard this? Well, probably because the Jews had never read read it to them. The idea of a light to the Gentiles, can you imagine scriptures that were buried in those days? It's exactly what happened. Now the Gentiles, for the first time, hear Paul quote Isaiah, and here it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. So what happened? People's hearts were moved and touched. They heard the word of God. They believed and they found the gospel to be true. And they said yes to Jesus, gave their lives to Christ. The word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. You know, Paul and Barnabas had a had a difficult road going on here. Uh, but, you know, you and I today, we have a very different kind of a world that we live in. It's not an issue of bringing people uh, from Judaism into just simple reliance upon Christ by telling them, you don't have to do all of these works. Listen, in a sense, the the, the whole concept of religious effort and self-reliance has spread all over to all kinds of different uh, practices and ideas in this life. Uh, for many people, it's not religion that is their law. It's the gaining of money that's their law. It's the gaining of influence and prominence that, that is their law. The thing that they rely on, not just for value and worth, but for identity. We're calling people to, today to, to Jesus Christ. We're still saying, this is not making it difficult. This is making it easy. You're taking the difficult road. When you have a, a reliance upon things, you have a reliance upon uh, personalities, you have a reliance upon uh, whatever it is your job is, whatever it is gives you a sense of purpose and identity apart from Christ, we're still calling people back to a, a simplicity of simply surrendering to Jesus alone, who gives meaning, purpose, understanding in this life, not to make you religious, but to literally set you free. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ is the freedom to live life abundantly. Jesus said, I came to set you free and to give you life more abundantly. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. In Christ, we find freedom from dead religious works. We find freedom from the idol of our own ego. We find freedom in surrender to have a relationship with the God who created us, who formed us, who knew us before he even formed us. We are free to have a communion, an unbroken, unhindered connection to the one who made us, who knows us better than we know ourselves. And in that place of freedom, of surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we find peace, we find joy, we find eternal life. We find the righteousness of the kingdom of God given to us freely as a gift. We find old things pass away and all things 
have become new. Maybe you're like the Gentiles in Paul's day when they hear the gospel beginning rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And maybe even right now you say, thank you, Jesus. I trust in you that you have set me free and I just rest in that freedom. That's a place of what I call reconciled rest. He came to reconcile us back to the Father. Here it goes on to say, this is what happened. Verse 50, the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. And they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. How in the world would they have done such a thing? By making them feel like that their way of life was under threat. I mean, imagine being set free from having to go and sacrifice every time you commit sin from having to go and observe all of the traditions and rituals and self-mutilation like circumcision and all that stuff. And what happens here? Uh, When you feel like a system that has grown familiar to you is under threat, oh my goodness, you'll begin to feel like you can justify persecuting those who are doing the threatening. Paul and Barnabas are just preaching the gospel and now they're getting persecuted. It says they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Oh, stop. Hang on a second. I don't want to gloss over this verse. It's actually this verse that captures my attention the most. What's happened? The disciples who've just been kicked out of the city of Pisidian and Antioch, they're rejected from a region And they're heading off to Iconium, and it says they were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now stop and think about the loss here. They went into a region. They seemed to have incredible success. The entire city comes out to hear the gospel. Then Gentiles hear the word of the Lord for the very first time. They begin to turn to the Lord. But then those who are influencers in the city and prominent in the city basically now turn the entire region against them. They begin to persecute them and they end up driving them out of that area. It seems like a recipe for depression and disaster as if the ministry trip has been a failure. But it says the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is part of the freedom of being in Christ. And that is the persecution doesn't affect you anymore. I mean, certainly you're heartbroken at, at the, the attitude of people who uh, reject the gospel. You, you're certainly heartbroken over that. But the reality of the joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit transcends that. And, and here's the thing. You think, well, isn't the Holy Spirit grieved at what happened here? Well, this is how the Holy Spirit seems to express grief as to what happened here is by strengthening the body of Christ with the joy of the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Now think about this with me for a moment. When we see things going on in the earth that you say, this is contrary to the values of the kingdom of God. This has got to be something that God is not pleased with. We somehow think that God responds to negative circumstances like we do that God gets depressed and he gets down and he gets in sackcloth and ashes and he plays really sad music and just mopes around you know the throne room of heaven but this is not the way it works God is continually joyful and what he does is he looks for hearts that are surrendered to him hearts in covenant 
with him in communion. They're sitting at that new covenant communion table. And you know what he does? He pours the wine of the spirit and makes your heart glad again. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Things going on in the world that you don't like. Things going on in the world that you know God doesn't like. You know the appropriate response to all of that? The joy of the Lord in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, the Bible says, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when you see what looks like the kingdom not advancing, well, listen, you don't turn to unrighteousness to fight unrighteousness. No, you rest in the righteousness of your reconciled union with God. Peace. You don't give away your peace just because the rest of the world is in chaos, just because things have happened that are unfair, things have happened that are just flat wrong. You don't give away your peace and turn to tumultuous existence. That's, that's not the kingdom of God. And joy. You don't stop being happy. And let the system of this world put your life in a headlock to depression because you think God's depressed and sad. Therefore, you must be depressed and sad. You understand the emotions of God are not tied to the activities of this world. And the disciples begin to realize this in this moment. What starts out to be a tremendous crusade in this region that results in the entire city hearing the gospel and the Gentiles literally listening to what Paul has said and hearing the word of the Lord for the first time and believing turns into persecution from the very people who've just heard. And what is the response of the disciples? Listen, they've just been voted out of the city. They've just been kicked out. They've got to be second guessing themselves. But this is what happens. They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that with me for a moment. Now listen, things may not be going the way you think they should be in the earth today. You're waiting for the next great revival to sweep the earth. Oh, listen, you know what's going to bring it? Disciples of Christ who are continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Disciples of Christ who believe and realize that the kingdom of God has never been under threat and it's not being threatened now. And that the kingdom is here. It's within and among you. That you are literally living in the kingdom right now. And that everything around you that is persecuting that kingdom and that world simply doesn't see, doesn't know, doesn't understand that Jesus Christ came for them too. That came to die and rise from the dead, to be crucified not just for them, but as them, to raise up not just for you, but as you in newness of life. And in that newness of life, you are, you and I, no matter what's going on, you're continually to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Listen, I encourage you to read on into the next chapter in Acts chapter 14, because on Iconium, what's going to happen is even more disturbing as it seems that that Paul and Barnabas are looked at as gods, the gods Zeus and Hermes, and they start offering sacrifices to them. And Paul and Barnabas, my goodness, their response to this is, is you know, wow, oh my goodness, people are going to take, and now they're going to 
turn us into the object of their sacrifice. In other words, now they feel like they've turned people away from God and have become idols to the people. That's a ministry trip that ends up becoming a disaster as Paul actually finishes that one by getting stoned and left for dead. Listen, he gets up, preaches the gospel some more, just never stops until his time is over. And yet, they're continually, and you see this over and over again in Acts, with every missionary journey, with every opportunity to preach the gospel, they're continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And listen, I encourage you today, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the joy of the Lord. And and we're here, here at the end of the broadcast. I just invite you to just give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I receive you by faith. I receive your grace. And I rest 100% in the saving grace of your finished work on the cross. And listen, that, that, that alone, that simple prayer alone could be an introduction between you and Christ to have a relationship together. And, uh, and listen, I just pray that God blesses you this week blesses you uh, in everything you set your hand to. And you can write to us, by the way, at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. When you write, send your prayer requests in. We pray for every single one of them. And I love the tangibility of letters. Listen, if you got a disease, something we can pray with you about, send it in, pray for me about this or that. We'll literally put our hands on those letters and we'll pray with you as a point of contact to stand with you, believing God's going to do a miracle in your life. Well, this is Bill Vanderbush for myself, Tracy, my mom, Rhonda, Doris, who's in the office, been with us for 40 plus years. Listen, we are so glad to come into your home each and every week to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and all of our ministry team partners all over the world. We just say, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with every single one of you. Grow in grace and go in peace. God bless you.